This is Boston Scott, and you're listening to the Birds Banter Podcast. I'm living in that 21st century, doing something mean to it. Do it better than anybody you ever seen do it. Screams from the haters, got a nice ring to it. I guess every superhero need his theme music. No one man should have all that power. The clock's ticking, I just count the hours. Stop tripping, I'm tripping off the power. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, Eagles Nation. What is going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Birds Banter Podcast. If you guys are following us on social media, again, that plug is PHL or Birds Banter PHL on Instagram and Birds Banter on Twitter. So I sent out some messages last night, a tweet and an Instagram story um, saying that this podcast is going to be a bit of a break from the original draft content that we've been doing the past several weeks. Um, you could probably tell by that from the episode title of this podcast. Um, but I wanted to, this has been in the works for a while. I wanted to kind of sit back and learn more about the salary cap and, you know, kind of educate the listeners as well. I think this is a very, very important and informative episode for not only Eagles fans, but NFL fans around the league. So this year we've seen an actual decrease in the salary cap, which has not happened in several years um in recent memory it's just been going up and up and up that's why we're seeing every single year teams are spending more and more money the market is being reset at every single position around the football field and teams are able to do that because the salary cap is going up but what happens now that it went down and it's under 190 million dollars and teams are forced to cut some players, make some trades, and really be forced into a situation that they were not prepared for. So I know a good amount about salary cap, but I know nothing compared to um, salary cap experts. So that's why I brought on a salary cap expert. Brad Spielberger, is, uh, he's, he works for PFF and Over the Cap. We're going to talk to him about all the different terminology. We're going to talk about dead cap, um, contract restructures, Everything that there is, guaranteed money, prorated bonuses, um, cash, salary cap, the difference between the two, we have it all covered for you. And also an outlook on what the next season is going to look like. Um, is the salary cap going to go up? How much is it going to go up? And what are teams going to do to kind of combat this issue this year and then prepare for it next year going up? Is it going to be um, a, a time that teams are just going to spend a lot of money? Are they going to be able to do that? There's a lot of questions that need to be answered. Thankfully, we have Brad to help us out and inform all of us about this awesome information. So make sure you tune in. Again, Eagles fans, NFL fans, all are welcome for this episode. Let's tune in. Thanks for joining us today. All right, everybody. It's been a crazy NFL offseason so far, most of it because of the COVID-19 pandemic. The NFL lost a lot of money. The salary cap was heavily impacted. So I've been talking to you guys a lot about the salary cap, talking about the specifics of what's been going into these moves, especially the ones the Eagles are making. Um, but it's best to hear from someone who knows the most about salary caps. So we have Brad Spielberger. He's a salary cap analyst at PFF and a contributor for OverTheCap.com. Brad, how are you doing today? Can you tell us a little bit about what you do? And uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, doing well. Thanks for having me on. Um, so I am a salary cap and contract analyst now at Pro Football Focus. Um, but I started my work at OverTheCap.com, which is, should be your go-to NFL contract resource. 
um, you know, we'll, we'll plug there. But, uh, but yeah, so, um, you know, kind of went with the law school route and knew I wanted to work in um, kind of the NFL contract space in some capacity. Um, you know, my final year of law school was, was when COVID hit. So um, any aspirations of working for a team uh, kind of flew out the window there, but, but things have worked out great. Uh, I've been very lucky and, and fortunate to land where I have. Um, but yeah, so, so I basically analyzed contracts, analyzed team salary cap, um, you know, do some kind of projections, stuff like that for the, you know, this free agency, which obviously was, was a challenge. Um, but yeah, so, so kind of what, you know, teams will have, you know, one or two people in their building that kind of do what I do, um, just trying to gauge the market, assess how much guys are going to cost, um, you know, things of that nature. And I'm kind of doing it for, for the whole league. That's awesome. It's great to hear. If you guys want to follow Brad on Twitter, it's PFF underscore Brad. Um, another point before we get started here, I believe your coworker, um, wrote a book over at over the cap crunching numbers um recently read that book uh wanted to just give a quick plug to anyone looking to work in the sport industry it gives it awesome insight on uh you know the numbers behind the game of football if you want to work in a front office or as an agent awesome awesome information very beneficial to learn um because you don't get all that information just from scrolling through twitter I'll give him a, a plug too. It's pretty cool. So he, it's called Crunching Numbers, like you said, by Jason Fitzgerald and, and Vijay Natarajan from Over the Cap. And not only is it a great resource if you want to be an agent or work in the league, uh, it's a must read. It's kind of like the Bible for that. But also Bobby Wagner, the Seahawks linebacker, after he negotiated his own contract in Seattle, said he basically just used crunching numbers. And that was how he negotiated his own deal um, awesome. representing himself. So it, it's a great resource for, for everybody. Yeah, that's really cool. I didn't know that. So yeah, definitely go check that out, guys. Um, Amazon, wherever you get your books, go get crunchy numbers. So we're going to get into the content here. So um, Brad, first things first, we've seen the offseason so far about three months into it, or two months, sorry, um, after the Super Bowl. What are teams doing to deal with a lower salary cap? We're seeing some veterans um, be released from the Eagles standpoint, names like Deshaun Jackson, Malik Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey these bigger contracts, especially older players, they're heading out the door because the team just can't afford them. So what's the overall vibe you're getting um, or the trend you're seeing from the NFL this offseason? Yeah, you know, I'll say I think coming into this offseason, everyone thought it was going to be kind of a bloodbath with the veterans and uh, that basically every high-priced vet, you know, who wasn't an elite player was at risk of getting, you know, becoming a cap casualty, which we call guys that are still productive, still good players, but kind of just get cut for purely financial reasons. Um, we certainly saw some of that. I would say of the three guys you mentioned, I would only put Malik Jackson in that category. Um, I think Deshaun Jackson just couldn't stay on the field and, and, and neither could Alshon Jeffrey. Um, you know, I think if, in an ideal world, they maybe would have found a way to keep Malik, um, you know, who's, who's productive once he got healthy, obviously he had, he had injury issues as well, but, but kind of looked pretty good last year, you know, getting back into form. Um, I don't think it was as bad as expected though. There obviously were some tough cuts, you know, we saw some big names kind of get moved on from, um, but that, that tends to happen every off season. I think the bigger thing, which of course we're going to get into, um, is just kind of how teams are going about structuring deals this year. Um, you know, so, so no team, uh, this is, I mean, this is a fact, you know, I've spoken with some people like no team is ever prepared for the cap to drop. It was 198 million last year. It's 182 and a half million for this upcoming season. Um, you know, they can be, they can have projections where it maybe doesn't grow as much as it has in years past, but no one had ever run a model that, you know, said, what do we do if it goes down 16 million? It's just not something they're prepared for. So Unfortunately, teams like the Eagles, and they are really are, frankly, the poster child, 
you know, if the cap continued to go up about six, 7%, which recently had been about 10 million per year, um, let's say it was 210 million, it's, it's 30 million more than what it's actually going to be at 182. So they unfortunately just got pinched. You know, they just unfortunately had all that space disappear. Um, if it continued to grow as normal, they would have been fine. I mean, not fine. They still have, a, you know, a bit of a, a tough roster to deal with and, and, and some bloated contracts. Um, but yeah, so that kind of just threw everything for a loop. And so now teams are pushing a lot of money down the line, converting a lot of money into bonuses, which enables you to spread it out over five years maximum. Um, so stuff like that is how teams have been able to stay under the cap. Yeah, definitely. And the Eagles were one of the teams that were in the worst situations cap wise going into the off season. I think they were like 80 million or something above the cap um, at one point. And they got it down quite a bit pretty quickly. Um, it's it's very interesting to see how quickly you can manage the cap and try to get it down. The general managers, they're just fantastic at um, working those deals. So um, another question for you is how, what's the emphasis on the draft this year? So we're seeing a lot of people ca uh, straps for cash and um, a draft coming up and a lot of these rookies are gonna have to perform um, on rookie deals because they're cheaper. So what's your outlook on the team's need in the draft right now? Absolutely. It's kind of two converging forces. Like, so first, like you said, it's going to be super important for, for all these teams to get some solid contributions from rookie contract players. Cause of course, you know, they provide surplus value. If you can get a good player, you know, in the first three rounds or so, I mean, obviously if you get one later than that, that's, that's incredible, but um, that are still kind of playing above their contract. I mean, you look at like a guy, you know, like a Justin Jefferson last year, you know, as the 20, 21st overall pick. I know I guess it's kind of a sore subject on this podcast, <laughs> but, but that, I mean, the, frankly, like he's, you know, his value, his on-field production compared to his contract, he saved the Vikings like $15 million yeah. last year. So, so things like that are going to be huge for every team. Um, you know, obviously the quarterbacks are huge, offensive tackles, wide receivers, stuff like that. Um, it's massive. But at the same time, I do think it's tough with A, a lot of opt-out players, a lot of really good players that opted out, um, and then B, no combine. And so I would say kind of a misconception about the combine and the value there. It's not so much the athletic testing. And every pro day with these inflated numbers, mm -hmm. everyone and their mother runs a 439. Yeah. <laughs> I think you and I could run a 439, but it's not so much that. It's actually more the medicals and the and the in-person interviews that are going to be a big kind of you know absence for, from this year because teams rely on that a lot to get you know background on medical history, but also just to bring these guys in and get to know them as people, um, which they'll have some opportunity to do, but obviously less so at the combine. So they're going to need rookies to produce, but I also think there's there's a bit of wariness about kind of how bullish can we be on you know like maybe going after these guys because we don't really know the full profile. Yeah, a lot of people relying on just the tape this year, which is uh, definitely a different situation than years past. Um, Brad, I want to get into the topic of dead cap. So the Eagles dealt with this very heavily this offseason with Carson Wentz. They trade into the Colts, took on the biggest dead cap hit in NFL history, um, over 30 million. So can you kind of describe to the audience what dead cap is, how it's created and um, the impact it has on a team? Yeah. So dead cap is, is most simply just cap space allocated to a player that's no longer on your roster. Um, you know, the vast majority of dead cap is going to be um, prorated bonus, so like signing bonus, like we talked about. Basically, the benefit of, of putting money in a signing bonus is that you can push it down the line. Of course, the risk is if you then move on from that player, 
that money accelerates back up onto your current year cap. So just for example, let's say you had a five-year deal, $20 million signing bonus, it'd be $4 million in, in each of the five years. There, there's $16 million in, you know, after the first year, it, it's not going, it just disappears, it just moves on for the, you know, the short term. And so basically um, the Eagles, and because like we talked about, because they already were putting a lot of money into bonuses, the reason Wentz set the record, and by a significant margin, I mean, Jared Goff had the record at $22 million and and Wentz blew that out of the water mm-hmm. with 33.8. So, um, but the reason why is because on his extension, the Eagles kind of already had a bit of a precarious cap situation. And so he got a $16 million signing bonus, but then a $30 million option bonus in the second year of that extension. Um, option bonus also prorates, also gets pushed down the line. So there was so much money that was being pushed out into the future. Um, and yeah, obviously it didn't work out there, you know, really tough situation, you know, can't really foresee that, but that leads to, yeah, the biggest dead cap um, single player number ever. And so as a team, they're about 40 million in dead cap, which, you know, out of 182 million is what a little under a quarter, about 20% of your total salary cap, um, which makes things difficult. It, it essentially, you know, it's just, it, it's not cash or anything like that, but it's, well, you've already paid it previously, but it just makes it so that it's tougher to fit the rest of your roster underneath that salary cap number um, just kind of makes things difficult to maneuver. Yeah, definitely. So in your opinion, from, you know, cap standpoint and a football standpoint, um, looking at the Carson Wentz situation. So his time in Philly was, it was over, but they try to save a, a new coach coming in. They try to um, keep him in as QB one. He just didn't want in. So where do you balance the, the approach between, we want to save this football team and, you know, save this player, not take the dead cap. And then also, you know, the numbers, it's just too hard to, uh, to take on, you know, are we going to get rid of him because he doesn't belong here or are we just going to keep him around just because we don't want to, you know, spend all this money just to get rid of him. So uh, what's the balance there? It's a great question. And I think frankly, you know, this even, you know, kind of speaks to my industry and people I work with and that, you know, analytics folks, so to speak, um, and that there is a human element that you cannot ignore. And so I love the Jalen Hurts draft pick. I think it is a good idea for teams to consistently address quarterback. Do I think maybe they were, you know, did they make that pick because they thought it was good value and Hurts would be a good backup and, and things of that nature? Or did they have serious question marks about Wentz? Obviously had a couple injuries, obviously kind of, you know, already had issues with Nick Foles as backup in the past. We've now heard reports about stuff like that. So but apparently, again, we don't know what all is, is true, but apparently as soon as that draft pick was made, the relationship kind of ended that day. And so, um, or, or, you know, at least soured significantly. And then obviously he was, he was, you know, frankly terrible last year. So it's tough. It's tough. You do not want to take on that dead cap. You know, I think a good example is like Russell Wilson right now in Seattle. Like the relationship's not great there, but I think Seattle is just like, look, it's, it's they, they would actually surpass the Eagles and take on even more yeah. dead cap than, than, than Wentz. And it's frankly just like, yeah, why would we give up a franchise quarterback and still eat, you know, a fifth of the entire salary cap just to do it? Um, it's tough. But I think at the end of the day with the Eagles situation, they already, had, like we said, they already had so much money pushed out. It's an older roster, probably one of the oldest rosters in the NFL. At least it was before they just moved on from, you know, a bunch of older players. Um, you know, not a ton of draft capital because of, you know, trading for Carson, Carson Wentz in the first place, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Obviously, now they're sitting pretty, and I think they've done a good job of kind of, you know, amassing as much draft capital as possible. But it made sense there in that, you know, I guess maybe the, the podcast listeners don't want to hear this, but I, I think they 
they might be one of the worst teams in the league this year. And I think they know it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, but I think that's smart personally. I think why go seven and nine, eight and eight and pick 14th, 15th yep. and have to trade up for a quarterback. Why not just, they're not going to tank, although they did kind of tank at the end of last year. I'm not saying they're going to tank the entire season, but they're not going to like, I mean, look at the Panthers. They're a perfect example. They, they should not have spent last offseason. They actually had more dead money than the Eagles do this year. They had 50, over $50 million in total wow. dead money last year. They still bring in Teddy Bridgewater, who's a solid kind of average quarterback. They had a terrible defense. I mean, Luke Kuechly retires. Like, not a good roster. Mm-hmm. Why are you trying to force the issue and compete? I mean, they also had, what, Matt Ryan, Drew Brees, and Tom Brady in the division. Like, it made no sense to compete. And now you're stuck at pick number eight. You're, you miss out on all the draft quarterbacks and you're trading for Sam Darnold. So mm-hmm. those are kind of your alternatives there. Yeah, definitely. And uh, going back to the Eagles, you know, it's, it's definitely time to embrace the rebuild. And I know a lot of people were upset when the Eagles traded back a couple weeks ago because they were thinking, oh, no Kyle Pitts, no Jamar Chase. But you, the more picks you get, the better. So um, that's definitely something that'll pay off in the future, I hope, if uh, they can get their draft under control. So going back to spreading out these bonuses. So um, talking about the signing bonuses over the lifetime of the contract, it's divvied up. So it, it gives teams more flexibility. And one thing that teams have done, especially the Eagles, I think the Saints have been in on it very early on too, is creating dummy years or avoidable years, whatever you want to call them. Um, basically just extra years onto a contract. A lot of a lot of players have it, you just don't know about it. And um, they're not going to play these years. A good example is your division rival Vikings, um, Anthony Harris. He just signed with the Eagles, and his contract is structured like a five-year deal, but it's a one-year deal. Uh, Those four years are voidable at the end. Can you explain why teams do this and the benefit of it? Yeah, and so you nail it on the head. So the Eagles and Saints have been doing this for years now, um, and now this offseason, you know, 20-plus teams probably did it on on a contract, whereas – I would say maybe five to seven total teams in the league had done it, you know, um, in the years before this. Uh, yeah. So void years are essentially, like you said, they're just dummy contract years. They're not real contract years, but you essentially, because you're allowed to prorate bonus, you can add these void years on the end of a deal. Uh, and so for Anthony Harris is the example. It's a one year deal with four void years tacked on. And then his signing bonus can be spread out over five years um, in equal amounts. Um, and so you were, you know, you remove 80% or four fifths of that signing bonus from your 2021 cap and it all hits, you know, later years. So teams are using it to create upfront cap space um, by just pushing money down the line as much as possible. Um, but the player is not actually under contract. And so, you know, you could do it with real contract years, but of course, in a lot of these situations, the team doesn't actually want the player to be under contract. And the player themselves also wants to get back to free agency as fast as possible. Yep. Harris is a perfect example. Playing on the franchise tag, had a down year, unfortunately. Um, you know, did not have a market materialize at all that I'm sure he was hoping for. He is still a good player. Unfortunately, now he's kind of old. It might be tough to get that, that really big multi-year deal he was looking for. But smart of him to say, all right, I'll take, you know, I'll bite the bullet, take a one-year, $5 million deal with those four void years. So the Eagles only pay, you know, a million and something like that on the cap. Um, and then I hit free agency again. And hopefully if he has a great year, you know, gets a three year, you know, $30 million deal, whatever it is. So the re- people always ask me like, why is this legal? Frankly, the answer is it's legal because it benefits both the team and that they can create more cap space and therefore pay more players, add more guys to their roster. 
and it benefits the player in that, you know, teams are have the cap and the cash to pay for them. Um, and, and they, you know, frankly, oftentimes get back to free agency faster because the deal voids, the typical structure is like a week after the Super Bowl. So it's not only about the year as well. So yes, it's good to hit free agency as soon as possible, but also something that's really important is if you're, if you're a pending free agent, you want to become a free agent the earliest date humanly possible because teams right. spend a lot of money right away and they have cash budgets and they run out of these cash budgets. So if you become a free agent in February before the league year even starts, technically, um, it kind of opens up your options. You have more potential suitors. So, yeah, it benefits everybody. Yeah, definitely. So um, when we're seeing these contracts be restructured, essentially, um, doesn't that mean that it's just an extension, even if they don't play that next year? Um, an example that comes to mind is Ben Roethlisberger. So his contract was restructured, so the Steelers are paying less money. Um, but I just want to make sure I'm understanding this correct. It's it's an extension, another year added to the contract, but he doesn't have to play that year. It's just a way to spread out the cap. Um, is that is that correct? Yeah. So there's well, there's two kinds of restructure. So there's a traditional restructure where you're just using the the years that are already there, and you're just converting salary because salary all hits in the current year into a bonus, and then you can push it down the line. The other one is like Roethlisberger or like Darius Slay in, in Philly, for mm -hmm. example, where it's an extension where you add void years, like you're saying, you're not actually playing under those. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an extension air, air quotes, I guess if there's no video, uh, I'm using air quotes, but yeah, but, but all you're really doing is just again, doing a restructure, but maximizing, you know, the amount you can, you can, um, you know, clear in cap space. Okay. Awesome. Um, so another question for you is, can you explain the difference between salary cap and then cash per year? Um, I know there's a big difference. Uh, from stuff I've read and listened to. Um, so what's the team's standpoint on spending their cash and the cap space? How do they uh, coincide with each other? Yeah, no, so great question as well. So, you know, like for the signing bonus, for example, which is always going to be the biggest way to clear cap, the player's still getting that cash up front. Uh, it's going to be a lump sum bonus paid out, depending on the size of it, typically within, you know, a year, maybe 18 months if it's a huge bonus, um, you know, or, or even less. But then cap-wise, it, it gets spread out in equal installments. So, um, you know, we talk about a cash-to-cap ratio a lot. Um, every team is different. You know, the Eagles are on the extreme. They probably have the lowest cap-to-cash ratio in that the, the cap space they're allocated to 2021 is way lower than the actual cash they're spending, or probably more so last year in 2020. Um, you know, they, they were able to stay under the cap, and they actually had a lot of cap space because they pushed so much down the line but cash-wise, they were spending a ton. Um, and it's a good thing. I mean, I mean it means Jeffrey Lurie is, is, a, is an aggressive owner and is a you know, win maximizer and, and is willing to spend more cash than, than the cap allows. Um, you know, the Saints are the same way. So, you know, that's going to be, you know, spread out, whereas salary would be, you know, it would be directly one-to-one -one cash to cap. Um, you get paid out over the course of the season, you know, both on a cash and cap perspective, the exact same amount. Um, you know, roster bonuses would be all in, the, you know, in, in that one year. Um, so it just depends what type of payment it is. But, you know, frankly, it, it's, it's about cap flexibility. So there's other teams, for example, um, you know, the Raiders and, and, and previously the Buccaneers, where they try to do the opposite, where essentially they want every dollar they're spending in cash to also be reflected on the cap. They want it to be as close as possible, um, you know, one to one. And, and the beauty of the Bucs strategy is that they did that forever. They never push money down the line. I mean, Tom Brady didn't get a signing bonus. Mike Evans didn't get a signing bonus. Like 
They didn't give signing bonuses. And yes, you're paying more on, on the cap up front, but then that's why they were able to become the first team in NFL history to return all 22 starters mm-hmm. from a Super Bowl championship team because now they look like the Eagles and they added a bunch of void years and converted a bunch of money into bonuses, but they hadn't done that before so that, you know, they're, they're kind of able to. Yeah, it's a good example there. It's honestly amazing. They, they kept every single player. I'm still amazed by how they pulled that off. Yeah. Um, so before we wrap up, I want to give you the floor to talk about what you envision for the 2022 NFL offseason. Um, what's the cap going to look like? Because we're seeing some huge deals um, being worked between NFL and um, major networking uh, net major networking deals, which means NFL is going to bring in a lot of money. Uh, the revenue sharing is going to go up and teams are going to have a lot of money to spend. I mean, you're seeing Dak Prescott with his big contract. I mean, there was a rumor that Jerry Jones was kind of, you know, hinting that we're having a lot of cap space up in the future. So might as well just spend it now. Um, so what do you think is going to, what do you think the cap is going to look, look like next year and the years to come uh, with these huge deals coming and COVID hopefully disappearing by then? Yeah, no, absolutely. So I'm very glad this question's on here because I'm trying to spread this, this message far and wide. So it is going to recover and it is going to continue to grow like it used to in years past, but I think some folks are a little bit too bullish, you know, compared to how they should be because, okay, so yes, the new TV deals are great um, and, and it, it, it increases the player's share of revenue to 48.5%. They get a media deal kicker. Um, you know, the, the TV deals were 80% that, you know, bigger than the previous media contract. So, you know, huge TV money is coming in, but those deals technically do not kick in until 2023. So, okay. of course, the owners can borrow, you know, they already have borrowed and they can borrow from future money. And, you know, it benefits everybody. They obviously want competitive, strong rosters. They want to be able to pay players and fit guys under the cap. So they're willing to do that. But Dan Graziano at ESPN had a very important tweet where he said, essentially, they were told, the NFL told the teams that if, if there wasn't the floor they negotiated, you know, kind of the salary cap floor for 2021, then the cap would have been $155 million. So we'll take that 210 number I said at the top of the show, you know, what it would have been if, if COVID didn't exist. The difference between those is 55 million, between 155 and 210 is 55 million. So exactly half of that 55 million, you add 27 and a half million, you add that to 155 and you get to this year's cap of 182 and a half. So I still think there's a remaining $27.5 million that needs to be kind of, you know, the owners and players agreed that, that they would borrow from future caps to pay for this this year's cap. So I still think whatever number we end up with in 2022, you still have to subtract 27 and a half million or, or maybe not the full amount, but you know, something like that. So I still think it'll be, you know, 205, $210 million, which is a huge jump. I mean, it's yeah. what, 25, $30 million above um, what it is this year, which would be the biggest, you know, single year increase we've ever seen. Um, but it's not going to, you know, I've seen people say, oh, it's going to jump like 250 million. Like that, that's, that's not going to happen. Um, that's too big of a jump. I, you know, I don't even know if they want that to happen because that would create chaos in a different mm-hmm. sense. Um, but it will bounce back. And I do think, you know, we'll see a lot of contracts come through. Obviously there's a lot of one year deals like Anthony Harris, who we talked about. So, you know, Will Fuller, guys like that, that, um, kind of decided to take a flyer and, and hit the market again next year. So should be more money, should be more talent readily available. 
Um, it, it should be interesting and it, and it should be an active and, and, you know, very interesting free agency, but yeah, not quite as crazy as I think some folks expect it to be. Yeah. If it was 250 million, everybody would want to be a free agent. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's the problem. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's, it's really interesting because, um, I remember one part of the crunchy numbers book, there was a graph that showed the salary cap every year and it's just up, 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 up. And then obviously 2021 wasn't included because um, it was published a couple of years ago. But it's it's just so interesting how the league has been expecting it to go up every single year. And then now it hit, hit a pretty big decrease um, when teams were spending very much money, a lot of money uh, the past couple of seasons on especially quarterbacks, um, defense or offensive linemen, defensive linemen. So definitely put a huge toll on a lot of teams, uh, general managers. 100%. No, I mean, look, Howie and them were very bullish. They, they, Harry Roseman, the GM of the Eagles, they, they, they knew that they had a window to kind of compete with a rookie contract, even after the extension, you know, Wentz's cap hits still weren't super high um, because they obviously extended him early. They, they frankly, they were like, look, we're going to be as, as aggressive as we can possibly be to try to get back. And look, did you win another Super Bowl? No, but you went, well, you made the playoffs again and won a playoff game against my, my lowly bears, you know, so like <laughs> you, you know, you were a competitive team for that whole stretch. So it, it looks way worse now because of the cap drop. Um, if it didn't drop, yeah, obviously, you know, the one situation looks tough, but um, the Eagles would have been, you know, would have navigated it fine and it would have been too bad. But um, like we said, they're, they're also being, they're being just as aggressive in how they're kind of, you know, rebuilding. So hopefully they're back to the mountaintop. Like you said, the, the drafting probably needs to get a little bit better, but if it yeah. does, then there's no reason they shouldn't be, you know, right back in the thick of things. Yep, I hope so. Um, before we end up, I want to end off with one question for you. One last question. So I'm an Eagles fan. You're a Bears fan. I want your take on who you think the Eagles are going to draft at number 12 and then the Bears at 20, I believe, right? Yeah, 20. Okay. Bro. All right, let's hear it. I like J.C. Horn a lot, the cornerback out of South Carolina for the Eagles. I know it's probably been mocked a ton, um, but I think it does make a lot of sense. They obviously need corner. Um, I mean, the trade down is really smart. I think they have a lot of options there. Um, like they could go receiver again. I could see Devontae Smith uh, of Alabama making it there. I could see Jalen Waddell uh, from Alabama making it there, both players I like a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, who knows? Like they could, they could also maybe go like Christian Darisaw or Rashawn Slater and maybe move on from Andre Dillard. I know they don't love him at this point. Um, there's a ton, ton of flexibility there. They, they yeah. could take the first edge in the draft. They want to take Quiddy Pay, maybe. I don't love the value there at, you know, at 12. Um, but Agreed. yeah, the first edge, the first edge rusher in the draft, I guess the 12 isn't terrible, but, but I, you know, he's kind of a raw prospect and, and that might be a bit of a reach. So yeah, I, I'll go with JC Horn. And then for Chicago, um, it's getting scary. It seems like he's not going to be there anymore, but I, I've been saying Tevin Jenkins, the right tackle from Oklahoma state um, for months now. That's what I want to happen. Uh, they cut Bobby Massey, their right tackle, and, and they have a big need on the offensive line. He's just an absolute mauler. Um, so I, I love that. If not him, maybe like a Rashad Bateman from Minnesota falls there. Um, but yeah, so, so I'll, I'll go with J.C. Horn and Tevin Jenkins. I like that. Beef up the O-line for Andy Dalton. Yeah, for the red <laughs> rifle, he needs it. All right, Brad, I appreciate it so much. Uh, this was an awesome conversation talking about the salary cap. Hope you guys all enjoyed learning more about it because you know, see a lot of stuff coming in on Twitter, especially about um, the salary cap, the way deals are worked. But there's a lot that fans don't know. So, Brad, definitely appreciate your insight. Hopefully, everybody got uh, something to learn out of this. Yeah, thanks for having me on.